With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. All right. Good morning, uh, Y Whales. And we've got a special guest today with us from uh, Interblock Capital. I've got Stefan, as always, and James Eisenberg is here to hang out with us uh, and really talk about just kind of his background uh, in, in the crypto blockchain space um, and, and overall just what he's excited about and, and what's interesting him today. Morning. Thanks for having me, Jay. Stefan. Good morning. So uh, I'll just give you a quick, a quick background on how I found this space. I was, uh, I was a tech guy, a programmer in high school, and uh, was a professional coder, and then went out to Silicon Valley after business school and got involved in the internet. I was lucky enough to have landed at Netscape in the mid-90s, so I got to watch the just explosion of the internet from nothing to everything, and worked at uh, E&Y for a while, helping build uh, VC-backed companies, then went to some VC-backed companies, then eventually ran my own companies. And uh, somewhere around the maybe 2016, I ran into the Winklevoss twins, uh, who are founders and runners now of the U.S. exchange Gemini. And they started talking about Bitcoin and blockchain. And immediately I felt that this is this is the Internet all over again. And I never thought I'd get a chance to see this again. Uh, so I jumped on it. And and uh, as you say, the rest is history. I started to fund uh, in 2018 and it's uh, it's been going great. So I'm, I'm happy to be here and, and have this discussion with you guys. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Um, so, so talk about, because you're, you're one of the, 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 the gems in the space that you've been through, you know, web one, web two, and now web three. And so when you think about Netscape, I mean, what were the biggest challenges you guys were facing compared to, to what you see, you know, web three is facing today? Well, of course, so Netscape, it's a, you back up even before Netscape and, uh, so I'll show my age a little bit. I was programming in the eighties in, in high school and we actually had uh, card readers in our, in our computer, in our computer room, which were the early IBM punch cards that you would pass through a machine and they would read it into numbers and turn it into things. So, so back then uh, it, there were giant mainframes and then there were these dumb terminals that you talk to the mainframes with. And then along came, uh, you know, Bill Gates and, and, and with microcomputing. And then that became the beginnings of, uh, desktop type application software. Uh, and then of course the internet came from that. And so it, the internet didn't have a lot to build on. The concepts of the internet were of course the founding of it uh, was through DARPA, which is a government project that was designed for communications in the case of like nuclear war or catastrophe. Uh, and then Mark Andreessen and some really smart people put together the Netscape Navigator, which became the, the um, veneer on top of all this, uh, information that you could finally see into it. And that was kind of the revelation. But because it was so out there and so new, uh, it was very difficult to grasp. I, I remember telling everyone back home, I, I grew up on, in, uh, in the East Coast, uh, that you've got to get involved in the internet. It's the most amazing thing. And they thought I was crazy. They said, no one's ever going to put a computer online and uh, their, their credit card online and 
no one's and of course there was no bandwidth and the computers were slow and there was like 14 four odd rate you remember that when you have to use a phone for everything and someone would try to call you and get a busy signal for eight hours i i, so that, I, that was st- like, I still can remember the the you know the sounds of course the aol ubiquitous you know you've got mail type thing which mail of course was the first killer app uh on the internet so it, so there was really not a lot before the internet came. Now we have 20 years of foundation. And so blockchain is, is catching on much, much, much more quickly than the internet did because people get it. Like anyone who's been through the internet understands that blockchain is the next layer of technology. Um, and it was, uh, it was conceived of in this concept uh, uh, post the last financial crisis in 2008 as a... Um, a way to mitigate the insanity of central bankers and have a have a money that was based in um, kind of sovereign money that was based on a peer to peer system uh, and the innovations of blockchain, um, which really is not necessarily a new technology. It's more of a combination of old technologies like consensus computing and distributed computing. Um, but it, what it allowed for was a, a unique identification of a digital asset, and and that's that's basically the thing that was missing. So. The the before that they tried to create this the early early Elon Musk and PayPal tried to create this but the they, the challenge they had is that they didn't know who had the e money what did Jay have it or did I have it how could you prove that and so you had this double spend problem so that was the problem that was solved with this white paper that was written by Satoshi Nakamoto who no one knows who that person is was released uh, just had its anniversary it was released on on uh, November first in uh, two thousand and eight and two thousand nine was the first Genesis block of uh, the Bitcoin blockchain. But what that launched was a new era in computing. And it took 12 years for it really to be recognized at the scale that it's being recognized now. Uh, up until about 2012 and 2013, there really wasn't much other than Bitcoin. And then the, uh, this really brilliant Canadian came down and uh, Vitalik Buterin, I think he was 15, working on e- Ethereum with uh, a bunch of other really brilliant kids. And I call them kids because they're super young <laughs> to me. And they... Um, they had this idea that wouldn't it be cool if you could have logic on top of this blockchain uh, and that sort of birthed this new layer of almost like a distributed operating system um, over the blockchain technology. Uh, and then things grew from there. Stefan, I know you got a dozen questions, so I'm not going <clears> to <throat> not going to hog this interview here. <laughs> Always got loads of questions. Yeah, I'd love to know, know more where you guys are really focusing on the investment side, right? Are you guys much more on the like? launches are you just investing like where do you guys focus on that so we're really lucky because our our focus like as a team is deep technology so we've been through the the internet boom and from the beginning and so we understand like how that happened like if you think back at the time there was nothing really like they had to start with like worldcom and lay fiber optic cable in the oceans, right? Then you needed you needed that data to be stored somewhere. I mean, we had like Infosys, like um, Sybase and Informix and Oracle creating like the data layer. And then you had to get that data out of the databases. You had the application server layers that had all the protocols sort of bound together. And you had uh, companies uh, like WebLogic create that. And then you needed the middleware from like Tipco and IBM. And then from there, you had the web servers and there was a lot of open source that started getting created and operating systems. And then, you know, finally you had this, the application layer where you started to see, you know, really innovative technology. So when I was at Netscape, no one conceived of Facebook. 
there was just there was no we could the big innovation was the dancing baby if anyone remembers that there was a little baby that someone figured out how to animate and with dancing and it crashed enterprise computer systems across the world because it sucks so much of the computing power out to make to render this baby because there were no graphics chips high-end stuff like exists today from nvidia and everything so everything was being built and at each layer of being built there were a, a raft of companies and each of that each layer rolled out in a particular order because you needed one before the next um, and then the next layer built on what came before so when we think about investing we think about where are we like where are we and the timelines so we started in 2018 and where we were was there was really not a lot and what we what we identified early on is that platforms were going to be very important to you know create your sort of base layers and then it was going to be you're going to start to have uh, interconnectivity and then privacy and then scalability and security. And, um, and then you were going to get the beginnings of ecosystems that started to get cre to, cre to be created. Um, and there's a number of really exciting ecosystems now that are created. And then after the ecosystems, you were going to start to see the beginnings of applications. Uh, and some of the earliest applications are in the finance area, not surprisingly, because that was uh, the conception of of the blockchain uh, to be used for. But what a lot of people don't understand is that this is, goes way beyond finance and way beyond money. Oh. It goes to the, the revolution of not just technology, but the economics of technology and the social impacts that this technology can have. And this is why I got involved. So what really excited me wasn't really Bitcoin. Like I thought Bitcoin was cool, but it was blockchain that excited me because I was a developer. And I understood yeah. the problem that blockchain was solving was this massive problem of security that like Ernst & Young, we spent, we made hundreds of millions of dollars going from General Motors to Ford to Fiat, to basically writing a bunch of custom code that connected all this stuff to all this other stuff. It was like really impossible not to have latency and error and fraud and like oh, all and, these and, and and every time you make a change you got the the APIs and and everything else all have to be updated and so it, it, it's like it's like job security for for uh, Accenture <laughs> and IBM and Ernst and & Young and Deloitte everyone who does consulting it, it's it's like endless work because then you get everything just so and then Oracle comes out with an update and it breaks everything and then you have to yeah. go back and like fix everything again. So you're there forever. And what a lot of people don't get, and which I didn't really understand until I got to the other side and started running software companies um, and going into these companies to sell software, they would say, look, I would say, well, you've got like a, a you know, $50 million budget to do this kind of work. And I said, yeah, but 38 million of that goes to maintenance and 12 goes to new stuff. Because these systems cost so much money to maintain. And the reason why they cost so much money to maintain is because they're being made to do things that this, the technology wasn't ready to do. So the, 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 the fundamental difference of blockchain and what came before is architecture. And the yeah. architecture of the blockchain is specifically designed for value exchange. And that means it's um, you know, highly cryptographic. It is um, sharded and dispersed and, and uh, decentralized. It's very difficult to attack head on. Um, and even if you could get into the data, you can't read it. They use the same levels of encryption as we encrypt like nuclear silos with. So, uh, so, so what you can do with blockchain far exceeds what you can do with the technology today. And we're at that moment that I was at at Netscape where no one conceived of Facebook. 
So no one has yet conceived of what blockchain is going to do, but it's going to blow our minds. When we jump way back to the early, you know, the early days of, of Web1, and email was exactly what I want to dive into, because when you think of email, it was if you were on Prodigy, you could email Prodigy members. If you were on, you know, CompuServe, you could email CompuServe. And for a long time, it was really siloed like that. And if you wanted to send one from one to the other, there was like, you, it had to be an entirely different way. And it was this weird, you know, clunky thing. And we're seeing that right now with the blockchains. We're seeing the level ones, um, you know, are, are, are all kind of trying to figure their thing out. And I don't, I haven't seen an AOL that just says, no, we're cool. We can, we can handle everybody. Um, and to me, I just, I, you know, I, I'm not a level two guy. I just, that's, that's me. And that's my own personal uh, opinion. I don't think that there's a long-term use for that, but when you, unless you're talking about Bitcoin, um, but you know, these level ones that are out there, Ethereum, Solana, you know, Cardano, everything else. How do you feel that the, the long-term viability of, of all these level ones is going to be, is there a winner or is there just always going to be kind of different use cases? Like, like we have to rethink what is the internet? Because the internet's not Ethereum, the internet's not Solana, the internet's not Cardano. What, what does it look like in, in your mind with all these different chains? Yeah, so so um, so I'm not I'm not much of like a, a, a handyman mechanic kind of a guy, but but I've got a friend who who you go into his garage and he has a wall full of wrenches, and 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 each wrench does something different. And I've got one wrench, you know, the adjustable wrench, and I make it's a hammer. It's a screwdriver. If I can use the point of it, it's like, so, so that, so when you think about like where we came from in the nineties, the United States dominated global software. And the reason we dominated global software is because the, this elixir between Silicon Valley and, and what was happening uh, at Stanford and where the money was concentrated and the rule of law and all these things came together, the spirit of entrepreneurship and out in California. And it birthed this, these, these ideas and they were very concentrated within like 50 miles of Silicon Valley. And then you had little places pop up route 128 in Boston and Austin and, um, up in Seattle, Portland, but it's it, the, the, the main center was in Silicon Valley. And so the world became used to using our software, Adobe and, uh, Google and Microsoft. And so everyone used our software and there ended up being one. Like there was, there's really one, okay. You can say there's maybe two or three, but really there's one, like Google's had 90% of the search engine traffic and the whole world uses Microsoft products and Adobe is sort of the standard for documents. And, um, that's not going to be the case in blockchain. It's not going to be the place case in blockchain because blockchain did not develop in a centralized place. Blockchain is developing worldwide. You have great developers in Egypt and in Taiwan and in Singapore and in um, uh, Switzerland and in Germany and all over the world. And because of the mechanism of funding, they're not beholden to a set of venture capitalists. Like in, in California, if you're in Silicon Valley, you've got to get to the sun deck over in Woodside if you want to meet a VC for breakfast or something. Or you got to play basketball with someone who's playing basketball with someone with one of those vests on that signify they're venture capitalists. And so that, that, that doesn't exist right now in this space. It is like, two guys and an idea or two women and an idea, and they can write a white paper and go out into a worldwide community and they're raising real money. Like we're talking about tens of billions of dollars in some of these uh, crowd loan type of, uh, or crowd investment type of platforms. Uh, and these are not like, these are not like low end platforms. These are, these are platforms like CoinList, 
that do an extraordinary job at vetting the companies that they're bringing on. And, um, and, and these, these, these uh, new startups, if you will, come to these platforms and they raise $50 million in 45 minutes from people they don't know. And, and I've been in these crowd loans and I'm, I'm on this, I'm on this waiting line with 350,000 people for 3,000 spots. So we're talking about being oversubscribed by orders of magnitude. So there is no more need to go to a particular VC in order to get funded. And what this has done is it's created a decentralized system where you have great ideas sprouting up all over the place. So that's a so, fundamental fundamental difference. So what this is, has allowed for, sorry, I'm getting around to answering your question. What this has allowed for is this idea where technology can be built specifically for a particular region. So like uh, Nervos is a big platform at level one over in Asia. It's a phenomenal um, architecture and approach uh, that you don't hear a lot about. And then you've got um, Cardano and Phantom. Uh, and Cardano has been really uh, focusing on governments. And Phantom is a super fast uh, DAG, which is not a blockchain. It's, a, it's an idea that is um, it's a uh, directed acyclic graph that is very fast. It's great for gaming. And then you've got something like Bitcoin, which is the granddaddy. And if I was going to send $100 million to uh, Europe, I would send it on the Bitcoin blockchain. I wouldn't send it on you know, one of the smaller ones, or the, even though they're faster and cheaper. Uh, then you have ETH, which is this big open playground where you can do anything on and no one really owns it or controls it. Um, and then you've got uh, amazing ecosystems like Polkadot where, that's been created by uh, Gavin Wood, Dr. Gavin Wood, who was the CTO of ETH early on and wrote the Solidity programming language and kind of is Ethereum and saw all the things wrong with Ethereum and built it into Polkadot and its sister uh, chain, Kusama. And that's actually launching on uh, the 11th for um, Parachains, which I think next week we're so excited about. And, and what they innovated was if you were just going to build blockchain on top of ETH, you'd have to do everything yourself. Like think about pre-application server in software world in the 90s. You had to write all those protocols yourself. And the reason why the application server layer was such a great product of WebLogic is they put it all together for people and made it easy and just put an API. And that's what Gavin Wood's doing. He's basically took all the security and um, uh, interoperability and this, this uh, need for people to issue endless tokens to secure the blockchain, he took all that away. He, he, he made a plug and play model. And basically, if you get a parachain slot and plug into his model, then you can use all of this stuff. Um, and, and what we're seeing is industry going to Polkadot uh, uh, in like these chains that are going to be like worldwide chains, like, for example, energy. That's uh, kind of a worldwide chain. And, and um, we're going to see amazing things, again, stuff that hasn't been conceived yet, happen out of this. So, Jay, my long answer to your short question <laughs> is that we're going to have specialization. And as long as the markets are large enough to sustain um, those applications, they will continue to thrive. And, and this is one of the real beauties of blockchain. It is, it's a system that is a bottom-up system. It's not a top-down system. And that's captured in the decentralization, for sure, of the technology. But it's also captured in the specialization of the technology. Um, and to be able to have uh, job-specific uh, tools that do it better than anyone else is, uh, is easy to do. And you can, because most of this code is open source, you can fork it and specialize it for your own purposes. And then it's out there for the world to utilize, comment on, and um, download for free 
And then you can customize that and put it back into the community. Which is unheard of. I mean, unheard, unheard of, of to think of a, a multi-billion dollar company saying, by the way, if you'd like to make your own, you know, thing, here you go. And, and you know, just make sure to let us know so we can fix our fix our holes. Right. And, and when people hear that, they go, they go crazy because they're like, well, how can I invest in that? Well, so today you can download the, the Bitcoin blockchain code and create your own coin like by this afternoon. Right. Yeah. Code whatever you want. And, and it's going to be the same exact technology as Bitcoin. But guess what? You've got one user. So now you're going to try and convince Jay to use it. And he's going to try and convince me to use it. So they can see all the code and they, they can't steal the money. So that must be a pretty secure system. Uh, and, and right now it's being talked about as a store of value, even though it was conceived of as money. Uh, and that's just how Wall Street is selling it as a store of value. Bitcoin essentially is a macroeconomic bet on insanity of bankers, you know, inflation, rising interest rates. Blockchain, though, is a bet that software is going to move on and the world is going to evolve. And, and, uh, and that's a very sure bet because businesses will replace old technology with new technology every time because it gives them a competitive advantage. So it's an unstoppable force. So are you guys actively still doing a lot of L1 investments? Like, how, how do you guys see that as a fund? Like, do you actually go out there and seek those L1s that are launching and you're investing heavily in that? Or are you more on the side of, like, dApps? So in our opinion, the L1 space um, is really played out. And if you were in, like, we were buying, we were buying uh, the space at a hundredth of where it is today. So... Th those those returns are, are over and a lot of the real value of these chains are already priced into them. So m most of these chains are not actually supporting, you know, a lot of organic development and uh, active um, applications with lots of users. This is a pretty small space still in relation to the overall space um, of, um, of development. So it would be like if someone told you, in 2000, would you buy Microsoft at a trillion dollar market cap? Well, Microsoft is a trillion dollar market cap company, but in 2021, would you have paid that valuation in 20, in 2000? So, and, and what we're seeing now at this point in the cycle, there are a lot of software um, projects out there that seem to us pretty close to their price targets. And that's the level ones, but that took two years or two and a half years and actually more than that because some of these projects have been working for multiple years. But now you're seeing the new stuff and the new stuff has that opportunity. So I, I've always kind of thought like, obviously with software, I mean, I've built loads of software. It's really hard to plan ahead and like actually like be right about what you think where you're going to need in the future. Right. So my kind of thesis has been that, especially because everything is open source, is that new L1s will fork old L1s, improve on them, launch, and then aggressively start growing, right? Because they're going to be just better, right? It's just easier to build, especially in an ecosystem like this, where it is very difficult to iterate, right? You need community buy-in, et cetera, et cetera. So you have these very, like you were saying, like it was hard to move anything at whatever Adobe, right? It's even more difficult now, for example, like something massive like Ethereum. So do you think the, the value just isn't there as you think, the, well, the stuff is overpriced and that's why you're not doing L1 investments? Or do you think the L1s that are currently running are going to be the L1s of the future? Like my thesis is the, 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 the L1 that wins doesn't exist yet. That's like, and I don't think Ethereum will end up winning because I think, A, there's still so much adoption to be had. But to that, I, I guess, let, let me ask you that. Where do you think, where do you stand on that? 
I had a great mentor who is a, a stock trader and we were, we would talk about like timing all the time, which is really what your question is getting at. And, um, and I, and I would say something like, Hey, that's just not going to work. Like over time I did exactly your, what your line of thinking is. I'm like, over time, this is going to become an irrelevant solution. And he said to me over time. And, and I said, yeah, but, but I'm right. And he said, he said, you, you're early. And he said, and early is the same thing as you're wrong. <laughs> so he, what he explained to me was that there are, we're investors and investors pay attention to the market and the market changes over time. And right now, when I say, um, you know, we're not actively investing in L1, we have a lot of L1 investments and the L1 investments that we have are, are appreciating still at rapid rates, but, but we're, we bought them on very low base, right? So you look at something like, like, um, uh, Polkadot and, um, Sure. Without, you know, I, there's some things I just can't say because, uh, uh, you know, the nature of this being public. But you look at you look at projects like Polkadot, and Polkadot probably has some significant appreciation left in it. When you think about the appreciation compared to what most people are used to in the public markets, but when you look at where Polkadot could have been purchased at, that type of appreciation um, is unlikely in sort of a near term, you know. 12 month to 18 month type of an environment. And that, and that's a good, you know, trading strategy. I mean, I personally, I, I really spend more time uh, than not in the micro caps, <clears throat> meaning I want to look at the sub sub 500 uh, million. In fact, usually I like them when they're, when they're under 300 million uh, valuations, because that the people that have, you know, you hear about like, Oh, they've, you know, a thousand X their investments, you know, they didn't get in when it was a dollar. They got in when it was, you know, the, the project wasn't doing well. Um, or just super early on. Yeah. Now, the, so so I'm glad you brought that up, Jay, because we're not <laughs> traders. We're, we're buy and hold strategy, and and um, and and you can make a lot of money trading this market. We don't do that. We think timing this is very difficult. We don't use leverage because we think it's volatile enough. Uh, but our, our perspective is to find something good and stick with it over long periods of time. And so yeah. I want to go back to Stefan's question because there's still a lot in there that's that's really valuable to talk about. And and so this idea that. Polkadot still has room to run. Like it's evaluation of, uh, you know, 50, 60 billion dollars or something in that, in that, um, sphere. And you look at something like, uh, Microsoft and you look at their valuation and you think, well, if Polkadot really becomes one of five or six global platforms for industry applications, it, it does have a valuation likely projected in the hundreds of billions of dollars. And so there is multiples there that are left in it. Um, and so, like, I don't want to give people the impression that you can't make money investing in L1s today because that would be incorrect. You can. It's the matter of, like, uh, we run a fund and, and our perspective is trying to find 10 to 50x type of uh, investments. And then, you know, to Jay's point, in order to do that, you have to be buying much lower on the, on the valuation of the, the network valuation. The other point you made that I really want to talk about is uh, that the, the one that's going to win hasn't been developed yet. And there'll always be a better solution that comes along because, especially because everything is open source and forkable. Um, but what you start to get involved with is this concept of network value. And, and the, the early movers do have a great advantage because they do have network. So like, and Ethereum you brought up is a great example. Like Ethereum is old technology. It was the first conception of this. And uh, Charles Hoskinson from 
Cardano and uh, Dr. Gavin Wood from Polkadot were part of the core team to start out with at Ethereum. And they both left to do something better because they realized that their, Ethereum had a lot of constraints because of how it was built. And it has to carry a lot of baggage with it. But today, 90% of all the developers are focused on Solidity, which is the development language for Ethereum. And 90% of the apps are built on Ethereum. And so all of these like ecosystems that you hear about, like Solana and um, Polkadot and Nervos and Cosmos, they're all trying to get developers to come to their ecosystem. And in order to get them, they have to entice them with these $400 million development pools where they're just giving away their tokens in order to get people to come develop on their platforms. And like, these are great platforms like Avalanche that came out of Cornell with great technology. Um, but what are most of them running? Most of them are running forks of all the software that's been built on Ethereum. So Ethereum is still kind of the home to the innovation and, and has, has the hearts and minds of the developers. And that moat just gets bigger and bigger and bigger because the longer you program in a particular language, the better you get at it and the more solid the language becomes. A lot of these chains have their own languages. So as a developer, you have to think about your own personal resource, right? So everyone maximizes for their own benefit. So am I going to try and, and learn four different languages to develop on four different chains? Or, or am I going to get really good at one language? And it's of course, it's the latter. And if I'm going to get really good at one language, is it going to be the one that has 90% of the action? Or is it going to be this one over here that may or may not succeed? Um, now, so there are chains like Solana that are, that are really off to a great start and lead in the finance industry. So you might, if you're a finance developer, you're just naturally going to move to Solana. But if you're more like into government services, you're going to look at probably Cardano. And if you're into gaming, you might look at Phantom. So what's going to happen are these chains are going to be um, bringing in developers that are for those vertical industries. And that is going to make these chains even more valuable because the, because the specialization is going to create um, more powerful solution sets. And again, today, it's all generalist. There's Microsoft and Google and Adobe. It's not like that. Everything has to be customized. But in the future, that we're going to have these highly specialized chains that are going to be incredible. So if you don't mind, I want to just have a quick chat about ETH and Ethereum. And I know, and we got about 10 minutes left here. So, so, and, uh, you can preface this however you want. So Ethereum to me is, is there's always the problem with being the first to market and the first to where you're at. And that's code debt. And Ethereum has a gas problem, uh, a very large gas problem, and it has a code debt problem of which I don't think uh, most people understand how big it is because these are all permanently written blocks and all these apps that have been written, all the forks, all the L2s, everything else. I fully believe Valak can build one of the most amazing blockchains out there. I believe he has the resources, he's got the brains, he's got the money, anything needed. How, how, how does Ethereum get, get, to, get to V2? How, how could I don't even see how that's possible to have a clean conversion from what they're where they're at? Because it's not like, hey, everyone upgrade your systems and you're just there. I mean, it's Solana is a vastly different platform than Ethereum. It, it is. And, and, and what, one of the joys of having the hearts and minds of the community is they fix the problems. So they get together and they create uh, sister chains and side chains and off chains. And there's Arbitrum and there's Immutable X and there's uh, XDAI. And there's Polygon and there's all these other chains that are now helping the ETH chain because they want ETH to succeed. 
But is that helping or is that, is that, is that adding to the problem? Because at some point, if, if Valve just comes out and say, Hey, here's V2. And by the way, we're so sorry, we couldn't make it compatible with all these other things. What happens to V1? Well, okay. So you're talking about ETH 2.0 that's, that's, that's getting released in stages. Yeah. Can, it, I, I, yeah. Can, can, what does ETH 2 even look like and how does that even come? I mean, yeah. from a code's perspective is. Well, so the nice thing about this is because it is all, all open source and the roadmaps are all open source. It's not going to be a surprise when it drops. So will it break some things? Yeah, it'll break some things, but they'll fix them. People are living now more virtually than they are in the real world. And, and I had a millennial explain it to me who did really well in, uh, in, uh, in the space. And he said, you know, it's more important for me to own, um, one of the board ape yacht club, uh, um, avatars than it is a Ferrari. Because if I have a Ferrari, like who's going to see it? Like my neighbors will see me drive in and out of wow. my driveway occasionally. But if I've got a, you know, a board ape yacht club, uh, you know, token that I can put on my profile, millions of people will see it. NFT. And I get, yeah. I get the social status of that because everyone knows what the floor prices are for these things. And they can look up my NFT and know what the value is. And it really made a lot of sense to me. So what a lot of what we're seeing right now, especially in the collectible space is are people who are, um, using these uh, social systems as a new culture to identify themselves within this new culture that largely lives in a computer. Uh, and this is what we're like, ready player one. We're in the, re we're going into the ready player one world. Uh, and of course, Mark Zuckerberg sees this and this is why they're changing the direction of their company. It's not because he wants to, it's because they have to, because this is what's going to eat his company. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, well, James, I really thank you for your time. I know that uh, you're going to get running here in a second, but for the last uh, few minutes, uh, please give us the, the the pitch on Interblock, what you're doing, and how people can reach out to you. Yeah, so so we're we're a group of technologists. We love the space. We look deeply into what's out there and what's coming. Uh, we are thoughtful in our approach. We take kind of a venture capitalist approach on uh, looking at the teams and the technology. And one of the beautiful things about blockchain is that so much of it is on chain that there's, you can see into these projects. You can see into GitHub and see how many developers are working on projects and how often do they check in code and other like pull requests that are successful and who are the developers that are doing this work and you can start to follow teams. And there's a lot of um, forensic investigative stuff that you can do on your own uh, if you want to get invested in the space just on a DIY basis. Um, and more and more so, the exchanges in the United States, are, which are regulated and, and audited, carry uh, more and more of the exciting tokens that you, you might want to be interested in. So we, 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 we follow the stair-step approach to how the, how the technology rolls out. And um, it, it's been fun. We've done well. And we, uh, we love our LPs. They're, they tend to be uh, high net worth individuals and family offices that want exposure in the space. And the way that they look at it in their portfolios is that it's a percentage of their venture capital allocation because it is very much a, a VC-oriented investment. Um, with two big exceptions. One is that it's marked to market, meaning that it's completely liquid. So a lot of times uh, we get allocations from their VC allocation because um, they don't necessarily want to tie capital up for seven to 10 years. So they like the idea that they're liquid, you know, pretty quickly. And, um, uh, and also because they're liquid, it's highly volatile and the volatility is highly visible. So like if this is a market where uh, if you're not comfortable going to sleep and then waking up in the morning and seeing your portfolio down 35% when you wake up, you should not invest in the space. This is not like, uh, like I have to laugh because I'll be listening to 
Bloomberg or something, they'll say, oh, the Dow is down 2% today. And like 2% is like 30 <laughs> seconds in, in the Bitcoin world. Yeah, we had a good day. <laughs> right, yeah, 2% is a flat day, like 10% is a flat day. Like You'll see things move 40% in a day. But those moves are really to your benefit. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because nothing moves that fast in the actual development or the status of the blockchain, unless it's just a total scam. In most, most cases, even though you hear about all these scams on the news, most of it's not a scam. Most of it is actually real. So when you see like what happened, for example, in May, China came out and said they were banning uh, Bitcoin and exchanges again for like the sixth time. But when they said that, the market swooned. And we saw tokens and projects like Chainlink and Polkadot, two of the blue chips in the space, drop 70% on that news because everything is so correlated when things start selling off and um, these markets are very leveraged. So that's like an opportunity. That is, that is someone holding a sign up in front of your house saying free money. And you just go in and, and, and you could have bought Polkadot for $10 and it's at 50 today. And that was not a difficult thing to see. So where can you get a 500% return on your money in yeah. four months because you're paying attention? But the difference is you have to actually know what you're buying. And uh, and, I'll, and I'll you know one more story of the of the nineties when the, when it all peaked in ninety nine and the thing blew up in two thousand and then we had this eighty percent sell off over the next three years. If you knew what you were doing and you knew what you were buying, you could have picked up Apple and Amazon for dollars, like low single digits. But you had to realize that Apple and Amazon were different than Webvan and Pets.com or Dogfood.com or whatever wherever it was. So this is your time now to get educated because there's going to be that 2003 moment in this market. And when that moment happens, it will be the best investment opportunity of your life. And, you know, we, we're thinking about that. We're strategizing on it. We're already picking the, the you know, the, the, the projects that we're going to get into. But this is really the time to, um, you know, get your dry powder, powder together, learn about the space, go to Coinbase or Kraken or, or, um, um, Gemini and buy something and go send it to a, a wallet like uh, MetaMask and plug it into Uniswap with a hundred dollars. So if you lose it, who cares? But just see how this works because the first time that you transfer real money to yourself and you own it, it's like holding a, a gold uh, bullion coin in your hand. It's actual real money. There is no counterparty risk to this. And, and, and we didn't talk about money and money movement, but this is going to so disrupt what's going on on this planet financially over the next 20 years that your lives will be completely altered by it uh, in really positive ways. So um, I would say this is like a time for education and have fun with it. And um, it's easy to contact us. You can reach out. Um, maybe Jay, you'll have our contact information or you can, it's interblockcapital.com. Yeah, we'll, we'll put that on there. Yeah. And uh, it was really fun being here. Absolutely. We, we love um, we love spending the, the time with uh, with our LPs and sort of an educational. We do a lot of educational talks, and we really wanted to see people get, adopt the industry uh, because, like I told all of my friends in the '90s, get involved in the internet. Like, I'll leave you guys with that. Like, get involved in blockchain because it's going to be like phenomenal what it does in the world. And, and we're so thankful to have professionals like you. Hey, I'm curious. So, what? How much are you in cash right now? Like what's your, what's your cash position as a fund? I don't know if you can tell us, but like how much dry powder you have seeing how we're at ATH, right? Like how, how much cash are you sitting on just percentage wise? 
Yeah, I can't really talk specifics about the fund, um, but we're, we're definitely we're, we're taking our advice that I just gave. <laughs> Fair enough. That's fabulous. <laughs> and, and, you know, yeah, you know, one of the, the great things that you also did say is, is the education in the space, because I think we all see the same repeatable thing happen is, is using a professional like you that's been in the space is so important because what people do when they first get on Coinbase is $10 in here, $5 in here, $50 in here, and they just, they create chaos. And I don't think there's a bad learning experience, but there's there's also something you said with with having someone who's been through Web One, Web Two, Web Three. Uh, and James, I just I thank you for coming on, taking the time. Um, really, really appreciate it, and uh, and look forward to kind of having you back. And, and if anyone's got any questions, uh, please reach out to Interblock. Uh, take a look through their fund. Uh, James is available. Lisa is is also available. And uh, again, thank you so much, uh, and we'll see you soon. Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbach, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. Why Whales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWhales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.